Welcome, everybody. Today, we have a special guest, a decorated combat veteran, a speaker, a best-selling author. He's worked with celebrities like Mick Jagger, Andrea Bocelli. He is one of the top three military influencers in the world, and he even has his own Wikipedia page. Welcome, everybody. Stephen Eugene Kuhn. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yes, my How's own Wikipedia going? page. That was the ultimate achievement, my own Wikipedia page, I'll tell you. That, that was fantastic. <laughs> Although I don't understand what's written there because it's in... Uh, it's in German. Yeah. German, right? Yeah, right. That's fantastic, though. <laughs> what a <dream laughs> Thank you for too. having me. Thank you for having me. So I've seen... You know, your story is fantastic, and your achievements seem to be never-ending. Uh, I've seen you on TV. I've seen several speeches that you did. And I actually realized one thing. You're probably the, one of the few human beings that I've heard that you never say, um, or, um, you, you don't stutter. The, is that trained? You trained yourself? or That's, that's trained, exactly. Oh, I, I always say that you don't say, well, I learned it in the monastery, actually, because when I was in the monastery after a, a crash and burn back in 2008, where I lost everything, I went to a Benedictine monastery in Austria. And I didn't speak for the first two weeks. And then when I spoke after that, it was so heavy, the words that I used. From that point on, I said, I'm only going to say something when I need to say it. So it's very clear what I say. And there's no reason to say, uh-uh, because I know what I'm going to say, and that's it. I'm not looking for anything. I know what I'm going to say. Done. So, yeah, it's trained, if you could call it that. <laughs> okay. And that, that, that was a, something that took you a long time to perfect? Mm. No, because it's all about the consciousness, isn't it? So being conscious of what you do, where you are, how you feel, how you affect your world around you, society around you, how they're affecting you. It's like a constant scanning, if you will. Okay, in the beginning, it takes sort of practice. And, and at the beginning, it was sort of almost nauseous to a point because I realized everything and I recognized everything. But what it, it, it's, I, I just, it's like when you're driving down the road. You look in the left mirror, you look in the rear view mirror, you look in the right mirror. You look in the left mirror, you look in the rear view mirror, you look in the back. You just keep going. You don't even realize you're doing it. That's the same way I live my life. So it, it's everything that I say, that I do, that I, that I preach, that I teach, whatever it is, it's always very succinct that way. And then you just mentioned the crash and burn. That wasn't a literal one at, you know, when you were in the Army. That was in life? In life. It was after the army. It was uh, when my PTSD got the best of me and depression, uh, clinically depression, clinically depressed, lost everything, uh, partner or my wife at the time, my ex-wife, the job, the money, um, sanity, apartment, lost everything. I was in Berlin, Germany at the time, so I was literally homeless. So yeah, it was a, it was a massive crash and burn. Oh, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it, is, it was crazy. Specifically, when you realize my book had, my, my, I had a best-selling book in Germany that came out about the Gulf War, and I had my MBA, and I was a leading uh, business person, and I was on TV, and then suddenly, I'm homeless. I was like, what, what happened? And that's because I wasn't conscious of what was going on. It was right in front of me the whole time, and I was worried about me, 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 me. Yeah, I, I see that happen often, and yep. me, me, me mentality. So yep. tell me about you... You, you mentioned you had that book, and you also have a best-selling book, and it was a best-selling book in six countries right at launch. Uh, Want to tell me about that? Yeah. That, <laughs> it's actually a really long title. In, uh, yeah, it is, and it's, it's a funny title because, look, when I came over here, I got out of the Army, and I got out of the Army in Europe, so I, st I was stationed in Germany with the United States Army, 
and I got what they call a European out. So I, I out processed and walked off base and I was here. I was done. I was a civilian. Uh, and then I started, you know, um, just doing what I do. And I was uh, looking at, as a soldier, I was really thin. Then I put on a lot of weight because I just ate like nobody's business. And I didn't do the fitness every morning like we used to in the military. We used to do an hour every day. And then I said, man, what, you know, why, how can these people eat all this stuff here in Europe and not get fat? I don't get it. Because you're in France and you're in Portugal or you're in Spain. You're like, how can these people not fat? Look at all this food, all this bread, all this stuff. Well, it turns out that uh, they eat in moderation. They eat constantly almost. So every five times a day, snacks and all kinds of stuff. And they eat olives and cheese and that kind of stuff. And so I wrote a book about it, how Europeans eat what they wish and still stay thin and healthy. So that, yes, indeed, six, uh, six uh, country bestseller in a day. That was quite the, uh, quite the uh, surprise, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good and uh, as soon as i saw the title i, I realized like, oh, oh my goodness that's like that's what happened to me because i would eat everything and we have a very active lifestyle too over there where pretty much i would go party every single day and when i moved over to north america eating the same amounts that i would eat just maybe more space and i started gaining weight and so when I read your book title, I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's fantastic. It also has to do with the preservatives and all of the other additives that are in the American uh, food system, so to say. Yeah. Most, most people don't know, but all, all of the food industries, all the labels, all the brands that you know in America of food are owned by, I think it's five or six major corporations. So it's all the same food. Yeah. No matter what, what packaging it's in, what it looks like, and it's all, there's a lot of um, modification in there, let's put it that way, and additives and preservatives and things that don't do well for you. And over here, you know, you shop almost every day over here because you buy fresh bread, you buy fresh meat, you buy fresh cheese, and that's just normal. Yeah. So instead of, and, and we don't have these destination locations like you go to a huge supermarket and you buy for three weeks and you come home, it's all processed and preserved. You know, you, you literally go at least once every two days and you buy something fresh. Pretty good. Yeah. That's probably the reason. That, that's not probably. It's one of the reasons why, after forty years of you know normal life, I became vegan. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess I, I guess if you if you're going to be vegan anywhere in the world, it probably makes the most sense in America. Yeah. So uh, I guess it's eight nine months now that I, I've been vegan. So. And have you gained weight? No, I actually good. the size didn't really go away. The weight I lost weight. But the size didn't because at, for the longest time, I didn't know how to be vegan. I didn't know what to eat, right? So bread yeah. would be your first choice. <laughs> and uh, wrong answer. Bread, it's either <laughs> bread or fruit. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, now it's a bread in America. So, oof, tough. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to bash my, my home country, but, man, the food is – I go home on, on vacation. I can't stand more than two, uh, two weeks. I, I have to get back and get some real food in me. Yeah. You know? And how often do you how often do you come over? Usually every six months. You know, with the kids, it's difficult, but we've done it since birth. So you know, two and uh, actually, Max, my son, will be uh, four in two days, and my daughter will be three in August. And we get back since they've been born every six months. Okay. So I got a question for you. Uh -oh. I've seen, you know, I I did my research. I saw your your speeches and all that, and. I've seen several places where they call you the hitman. Right. That is not literal, or right? That's no, no, it's not literal. Uh, uh no, 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 no. It could have been back in the day. I, I was headed down that path, but no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the hit. The hitman is. Uh, it refers to my 
um, training that I do and, and, and the way that I live my life. About 15, 18 years ago, I started using this to train students and, and trainee managers and leaders, and I called it conscious leadership, and I called it self-leadership, and I called it conscious self-leadership. And I always came up with three things, honesty, integrity, and transparency. Hit. That's yep. where the hit comes from. Now, people say, why do you put integrity in the middle? Why? Because honesty with yourself first and transparency with yourself first makes you authentic. And the byproduct of this honesty and transparency is integrity. Now, this integrity, like I said, it makes you authentic. And that allows you and allows me, I'm living proof of it, to dictate my own market value because there's no one out there like me. Okay, and this is what hits all about. It's about elevating others. It's about living without expectations. It's about being authentic in everything that you do and say. And the biggest thing is expectations. So, and, and it takes a while. But say, for instance, you go home and your wife is there and you give her some flowers, right? You might give her those flowers and there's something in your head going, maybe tonight's my lucky night, right? And she feels that vibe, but you don't say anything to her. She says, oh, he's he just doing this because he wants something, right? And uh, um, she doesn't say anything about it. The next thing you know, you have this, this tension in the air and no one knows why. It's because they're both, have, both of you have expectations. Yeah. And because she receives something, she feels compelled. And because I gave something, I feel that she is compelled. If you just erase all of that and do what you do because you want to do it purely for that reason, it makes life like effortless literally effortless. Everything I do, I do because I want to do it. And if I catch myself with an expectation, I go, okay, either if I really want this, I need to tell them this is what I expect. You know, except for that part with the flowers, that probably, that probably wouldn't go over too well. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know I, so every time I have an expectation, I see if it's real. If it's real, then I tell them. And if it's not, I just get rid of it. And that, that really changes your life and of course, on a, if, if you base, look, every, every healthy relationship on this planet is based on integrity. If you don't have integrity in your relationship, you don't have a relationship. I'm sorry to say. And it's, it's the trust has to be there. The giving, the, the ultimate sacrifice of saying, I am here for you, that can only be based on integrity. Anything else is manipulation. Yeah, it's all about stop keeping score. Don't keep score because if you're keeping score or something, you're not going to get something back in return because the other person didn't expect that. And then you will be thinking about that. And Exactly, 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 exactly right. That's, that's a great way to put it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, keeping score is a funny thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, people do do that, don't they? Jeez. Yeah, I, I remember someone in my past that did that as well. I, I, I actually used to. And, and of course, now, now I don't anymore, but I had to, I had to learn that. And, you know, when you share something on Facebook and I, I create private label businesses and sell them online. And sometimes I used to put my, one of my products on Facebook and I don't do that anymore. And, and then I would look and see like this person just liked a comment of something else and they didn't like my, you know, and that, so I was kind of tracking that. And then I realized how ridiculous that is just yeah. So anyway, I yeah. Well, that. you know, it's, it's, so social media is teaching us to compare our lives to everything and every everyone around us. Everything we do, everything we say, every picture, everything. Oh, you look at it. Oh, look at that picture. They look nice. Maybe next time I'll raise the camera instead of lowering the camera. You know, what a waste of time. You know, we check our phones about seven hundred times a day. Really, the average person, yeah, seven hundred times a day. In one day, in one day, we get more information in front of us on the internet and on the phone. Than, than 10 years, than, than a decade 
you know, 20 years ago. Yes. So one person living 20 years got less information than we do in one day. That's, and that's probably why back then people were a little bit more sane because yeah. although the same problems were happening, they just, people just weren't aware and there's things that we can't stop. So why, you know, being aware of them is not really going to help us or help the world. And being upset about it and, and changing your life because of it, it makes absolutely no sense because you're not going to have any effect on it unless you actually do something. It's yelling and screaming on social media isn't going to do anything. Exactly. So, Stephen, I want to ask you something, and uh, you probably already saw this coming, but you work with Mick Jagger, Andrea Bocelli. There's so many big names that I think, how did you do this? You, were, you searched them, they found you, or how did this go? I searched them. You know, I'm, I'm, what, there's something that I do, and I'm, I don't know, if you, I'm, a, I'm a catalyst or I don't know, whatever. I'm always looking for opportunities, but I don't do it on purpose. I would say, how can I do the most exciting things in the world without actually having to go out and look for it? Is I listen, I listen, and I hear. So I listen what people say, and I hear what they mean, or I hear what the, what the innuendos are. And for Mick Jagger, it was easy because I heard on the radio his bodyguard um, hurt his back in oh. London, and he wasn't with him in Berlin when I was living in Berlin. And so I went to the hotel, and I knew everyone at the hotel because I had cocktail bars, and I always invited all of the hoteliers every Thursday night to my bar for half-price cocktails. And that's uh, so that's another thing I did by elevating those around me. Those were hard workers. They got something back. Yeah. So they let me in, of course. And I waited around the lobby and back in the bar and stuff until Mick and, and a couple other people came down. And I said, hello, um, uh, Mr. Jagger, I am your new bodyguard. And they're like, who, what, who sent you? I'm like, I sent me. They said, what do you mean? Yeah, I'm an American war veteran. Um, and I, um, I'm here to be your bodyguard. And he said, um, talk to, talk to AJ. His name was AJ. CJ, sorry, CJ. And I said, CJ. And he's like, yeah, what, what do you do? Huh? Talk to me, blah, blah, blah. And he said, do you know where to get good sausage? I said, I do. He goes, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. It was like, oh, wow. And they paid me $400 a day. So that was, that, that was quite cool. Um, Andre Bocelli, it went a little differently. I was in a barber shop in Dusseldorf and I met their guitar, the guitarists, uh, from one of, from one of his parts of his show. And, um, I always wanted to meet Andre Bocelli and I heard, I was reading in the newspaper cause my friend is a, is a manager of a huge, uh, group in the UK. And I was reading that there were, the contracts were coming up for renewal in America. They were locked into some long, long, arduous deal. It wasn't such a good deal, but they were there. And, but Europe was wide open. And of course the guitarists needed some help too. So, um, I made my way to London to his concert and I asked for, uh, um, uh, we met him backstage, took a picture and he smiled in the picture and his wife was like, well, he never smiles. So that I took that as a good sign. Um, and she's his manager. So the next day he showed up at the hotel for the meeting and he wasn't there. So I told her what I wanted. Um, and that was of course to renegotiate some of the contracts, help the guitar, you know, the guitar, guitar company or the guitar duo get their, um, contracts and things. And I said, you know, I want a retainer for this plus 20%, 20% average in the industry, music industry is normal. And they laughed at me like no one gets a retainer in the music industry. You get 20% and that's it. You work on your own dime. I'm like, not this man. I don't work on this dime. And I'll tell you why, because I'm going to get what you need. And I'm going to make it happen no matter what. What do you need? I did it. I, you tell me, and I get it done. How can you be so sure? Because I've never failed, I said. I've never failed. We had this discussion before offline is that yeah. I, I've never failed. And the reason I've never failed, except for one time, when I, I don't want to say one time, but I failed in the past when I was younger before I realized that I, I failed only because I thought that what I did was bad or failed or something, and I stopped. Yes. Right? 
So when I, as soon as I learned out that it's only failure if you stop and if you take it as a beat down or something, that's a failure. It's not a failure if you learn from it. Exactly. So I told her, I said, I learned from everything and I will adapt and I will improvise to find a way. So, you know, about 20 minutes later, I walked out with a retainer and I stayed with them for two years. And within two weeks, I was in all the top CEOs offices in the UK um, speaking to their, uh, to the record labels about getting the contracts done. So, yeah. And then Olivia Newton-John came up much about the same way. I had a buddy who I met and came over and he said, oh, I, I know Olivia. I know her, her husband. And then they were launching their company in, in Europe. And I sort of finagled my way into that. And I helped her launch in seven, six countries. Six countries we launched her. Yeah. And it just goes on and on and on. It's a, you present yourself as a solution. And when you, when you know someone's problem and you know someone's um, uh, you know, difficulty in life and you show up with a solution, it's a no-brainer, literally. A no-brainer, no matter where you are. And that this means corporate world. This means with your wife or your husband. It's just if you show up solving their problems, you're a superhero all day long. That's uh, a very inspiring way that the, the way that you, you got in is because you actually took some action. Because if you were getting your hair cut just like everybody else and you zipped up, you wouldn't have got anything. And just like nope. with Mitch, that's fantastic attitude. Well, it's, it's, and it's more of a selfish thing than anything else because I love meeting people. You meet the weirdest, strangest um, um, job-having people in the world. Like I met a guy on a plane, and, I, and he's like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a self-employed consultant. And he goes, oh, I said, what do you do? He goes, I make fake rocks. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, I make fake rocks. You know, when you go to the zoo and you have these big cliffs, they're not real. I'm like, really? He goes, he's like, no, I make those. I'm like, you do that for a living? He goes, yeah, I'm all over the world. Like, who does that? You know, it's like, and it's just so interesting that, that you know, that, that, that you meet people all over the world. So I'm always asking questions. Where are you from? What's up? How you doing? Da, 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 da. So I have a huge contact list because I love not only talking to people, but then immediately finding my consulting is called immediate impact. So everything I do is immediate. I only work with partners that answer my calls immediately. I only work with partners that answer my mails immediately, within reason immediately. And of course, my customers expect from me immediate impact in the first you know, couple times that we work together. And um, so I, uh, I do that as well with all the contacts and all my friends. You know, for instance, after this, we talk and you say you need some more podcast guests. I would send you four or five podcast guests just like that, just within a day, just to, just to do it, just, just to make you feel good, just to say, hey, it was great to meet you and I'm happy and go. And I do this all the time. People are like, why do you give so freely? I said, because I can. Because I can. And I'm helping. I'm facilitating you and this other person. You both want something. And I get to feel fantastic because I got to help somebody. And who doesn't want that? Yeah. Everybody should want that. Yeah. You know, it's not me, 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 selfish me. If I, the, I had a discussion last night on one of my lives with a woman who says, what do you do when you're depressed? I said, the quickest way out of depression is to help somebody feel great. You know? Yeah, take your mind out of yourself and try to help somebody else. Yeah. Now that you mentioned how the immediate results and you like everything to be immediate, uh, that reminds me of, you know, the parachute bag, inflatable couch. So the story I heard is that you ended up making 30 million in three months yeah. uh, with an iPhone, recording yeah. videos with an iPhone. I didn't make 30 million. My client made yes, 30 million. Exactly. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, otherwise I'd probably be, there'd be probably be like an ocean behind me and I'd be topless, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, it was called Laybag. That was the product. And they, they called me in when they launched it on Facebook, wondering what, you know, 
uh, uh, what was happening that they, they wanted to sell this, but they wanted to sell it in America to the big box retailers. So, you know, Walmart, Target, things like that. So they said, Steve, you're American. You must know how to do this. I'm like, sure. <laughs> never did it before. I told them I never did it before, but not to fear. I will make it happen. Two weeks later, I landed my first deal for half a million dollars uh, with uh, a distributor for Costco and, uh, and Sam's Club and all that kind of stuff. So that was quite, quite the deal. Then we started launching online. And what we did was sort of unique because instead of launching a, 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 like a you know, high-end video, we just did iPhone videos. And if we tested it for a day, it didn't work. We just took it down and put another one up there. And we used our staff, so we didn't have, to, we didn't have any costs. It was literally film it. You know, I filmed it. We put it up. If it worked, good. If it didn't, we moved it. And every time we had problems, uh, people complained or, oh, you can't blow it up. It's all, it's all a farce or whatever. We made another video as an answer. So we communicated with digital pictures, so to say. And that sort of made us take off. And, uh, you know, they made it was ridiculous amounts of money. I mean, we, it's just, I mean, it was just crazy. It was, it was a crazy, crazy time. And off the back of that, we did the same thing, did 10 million um, with another product after that. And we did another, I don't know, five or 10 million after that with another product all three different, completely different products. Yeah, and there's one of those products that you actually shot the product. Yes, yes, it was called Trust Bag. Trust Bag. And uh, Trust Bag is a cut slash and stab resistant little drawstring, almost like a shoe bag, um, you know, to put your laptop in and stuff. And you can lock the top of it so no one can get into it. And they can't cut it so they can't pickpocket you. It's great for travel. And it, and it came about when three friends, the three owners were like, we need to find something because they were in Mexico and they all got pickpocketed from behind with a knife. Mm -hmm. So they sl sl slit the bag, everything fell out. The guy took the wallet and they left and didn't even realize it. So they came up with this idea and I had to source the material. The material is, is, is really hard to source because it's a special military grade, but I had a source and then I you know, took care of that business. And um, we were looking for ways to find videos. It went really well. They did some nice videos. And basically it was a guy wearing a white dress shirt and under that dress shirt was this material. And they took a box cutter and cut a shirt off of him, like really slitting his chest. And of course he didn't get cut. And so that was, that was a big hit there. And the second one is then we, when we took a gun and when you could film guns and put them on Facebook, you can't anymore. And we shot it. Right. Yeah. And it just didn't just said the toughest bag in the world. That's all we wrote. And of course everyone thought that meant it was um, bulletproof. <laughs> Obviously it's not bulletproof, you know, but what it did is it created, first of all, that got 5 million hits in like a day. And second of all, it made an, a viral reaction by people actually taking their AR 15s and machine guns and going out and shooting it and saying they're lying. It's not bulletproof. So there's, if you go to YouTube now, put in trust bag bulletproof, you'll find all kinds of videos about people shooting at it. It's hilarious. And, you know, we had, uh, we actually ended up um, discontinuing that product uh, because of the quality issues. It was really, it was a really difficult product because the fabric was so thick and so hard to cut and bend that the eyelets would keep coming out and stuff. So we, we ended up losing money on that deal, even though we made like 10 million. So um, after that, we had an umbrella uh, that was reversible. So, you know, always, always trying something, always trying something. Yeah. So you said 5 million views in, in the first day? Yeah. That's and then Lad, Lad Bible picked it up as well. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, Very yeah. impressive. So, so I have was a like, confession. Ten, I have a yeah. confession. Uh, uh -oh. You know, that lay bag, um, I, like I said, I'm private labeler, private labeler, so I create private label products. And everything that is a bestseller, everything that's selling lots, comes to my attention right away, right? I have software and I have other people that are tracked that and let me know. And that bag came to my attention. But uh, 
before I private label things, I don't just go blindly into it. So I go to the USPTO where uh, the trademark and patent office in the US and I checked that for every single product. And I saw that it was patented. Not only that, but the, uh, the lay bag people were actually at the beginning, at least at the beginning, were actually chomping down on the people that were creating the fake ones. So I didn't, I didn't get into that, but I did research the product and it was, it was selling like, Oh, we both know it was selling usually. Yeah. 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 That's funny because there was a lot of fakes out there. We just couldn't, we couldn't keep up. Um, I don't know. I think we spent like a hundred grand on just writing letters and we're like, forget it. It's sunk. We're done. So we just let it fizzle out. I mean, you know, I, I think I still got, I think we got like 3,000 units still in LA somewhere sitting yeah. in a warehouse. I don't even know. You know, it's like, you know, the company's been long debunked and shut down and stuff. So, you know, distributors are like, sell them if you can, you know, whatever. So, yeah, exactly. No, I yeah. did, I did look into it. And then I realized there was two things that were happening. Not only Layback uh, lay was actually, you know, uh, sending letters to everybody, but also the competition was increasing with all the, all the knockoffs and, then it became not worth it anymore. But it was funny that that, that that happened because after it happened, we had given up. We're like, we're done. I got a call from the distributor for Target, and they ordered a bunch. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that's crazy. We lost a deal to Walmart to a copy who were actually in dispute with another partner. And we're like, you know, Walmart picked them over us because of a personal issue, a personal uh, relationship probably. And that was like 700,000 units. So that would have been, that, that, that'd been like $10 million profit right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's kind of deals. So basically, this is what I do. I'm I'm a consultant, so I help people turn their business around, or I help people start their businesses, or I do deals like that. So I have right now I have about sixteen or seventeen products that I represent, and I only represent veterans right now. I'll, I'll do other ones, okay. but I'm working focusing on the veterans uh, uh, tribe right now. As you said, I'm a veteran influencer, uh, military veteran entrepreneur influencer, and. Uh, quite successful in that area as well. We have a military and, and um, military and veterans products group and we pitch all of the products with the story of the veteran, you know, a little picture of them and that kind of stuff. So it just creates a whole different dynamic for the purchaser or the buyers and, and that's going, that's going pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I uh, interviewed a, uh, so Jenny Hale is her name and uh, she was out of Fort Knox. She is not in the army. That was her failure was that, she could not get in. She had some some physical problems that wouldn't allow her to get in, but she pursued her dream and she now works with the army and um, uh, veteran wives as well, helping them create businesses. And she's uh, she studies algorithms like Facebook, YouTube, Google's, uh, LinkedIn's algorithms. And so pretty good, I guess. If you, if you put her in contact with me, I'd love, I'd love to meet her. You know, if you hook us up, that'd be yeah, great. Yeah, for sure. I actually, I actually did my boot camp. My boot camp, I did in Fort Knox. Oh yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. good. Nine, I, I asked her about you know the. I know now the official term is the gold depository. Right. But, uh, everybody calls it you know the gold reserve or some right. some name. Yeah. So uh, something else that I want to ask you is why Europe? You are in um, Budapest, Hungary. Yes. So. Why there? You know, when I landed here in 1986 with the, with the first airplane ever I ever flew in, except for Fort Knox, um, I landed in Germany in Rhein-Main Air Base, and I got out of the plane, and I was like, wow, 
this is this something feels right here. This I feel I don't feel like I'm in a foreign country. I actually feel like I'm in a completely different place, but I feel like I'm at home. So I'm, I, I immediately took to the country. I took to the people. I started to learn German. I learned German in six months just by immersing myself. I never took any classes. I speak, read, and write German like a like a pro. Oh yeah. Um, and and yeah, it just so happened. I don't know how it happened. I'm trying to speak Hungarian now for eight years. Good luck. <laughs> and you know, and um, so I, I ended up loving the country. And then uh, you know, when I I wasn't ready to go home. I you know after the Gulf War, I, I didn't really like sort of everything about me, and I wasn't ready to go home to face that constant bombardment of the American patriotism values that I so deeply cared about and was sort of ripped apart about because of, of what some of the things that happened in the war, some things I saw, and maybe even some of the things that I did. And uh, I wasn't ready to go home. And uh, so I stayed here in Europe. And this is my ninth country. Um, so I am married now, though, with kids. So it's probably going to be my last country in Europe. If we go anywhere, it'll be a beach for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, and I just like to value. Look, I can drive two hours. I'm in Vienna. I'm in Bratislava in 45 minutes. You know, I, I can go into a completely different culture, mindset, um, um, feeling, vibe, and, and, and like two hours in every direction. I'm going to Ukraine. I'm, I'm in Ukraine in two hours. I mean, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Bulgaria, Romania. I mean, it's wherever I want to, wherever you want to go, it's here. And I don't like normality and I don't like monotony. So when I get bored, I just, I'm going to Austria, baby. I'm going to Vienna today. See ya. Boom. And off I go. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's just, I love the variety. I love the people. I love the simplicity. And, and you know, if I'm honest, um, I'm a, sort of an old school gentleman. So I have a group on Facebook called The Humble Man. And The Humble Man is a group of men um, seeking that primal masculinity. And when I say primal, I don't mean animalistic. I mean the soft, non-aggressive, non-judgmental masculinity that makes us providers. Now, women can be providers. Men can be providers. Anybody can be providers. Mm -hmm. But a man, according to, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, if you identify as a man or however you say that, I don't, I'm not very politically correct because I don't follow that stuff. But um, I was schooled last weekend in a, in a, in a, in a camp called Baby Bathwater. It's an island retreat in Croatia uh, from a bunch of entrepreneurs, massive, amazing people. And I was taught the whole lesson about all the genders and stuff. So that was super interesting. I never had that before without an argument. So that was quite cool. And uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I, and I, I, for me, providership's everything. So I provide for my family. I provide for everyone around me. And I provide even for the cashier, for the gas pump guy. They still do that here. They actually put gas in your car still. I provide for them. And how do I, what do I provide for them? I provide for them by giving. I elevate them. I give them compliments. I give them eye contact. I give them the feeling that I care, you know? And this is what I mean by providership. I like my new saying, I guess you could say, is providership is a new leadership. You know, if you look at it and, and if you look at a leader in their business, in their entrepreneur or otherwise, yeah. what are they doing? They're providing a way forward. They're providing for their employees. They're providing for their customers. They're providing for themselves and their family. So for me, it's, it's obvious that the European values fit that more than I think, um, you know, let's even say the Western world almost uh, uh, doesn't fit it. You know, you got the UK, you got the US and Australia, for instance, they're very touchy about these kind of things. And I'm not touchy about it, you know. So I, I, I really appreciate the sort of the old school values over here, especially in Central Eastern Europe where I am now. Yes, yeah. yeah. And it's funny you mentioned the change of culture that can happen so quickly an hour away. Um, like I told you, I, I lived there 25 years. And every now and then, I had an Audi diesel, so it was very economical. So we could go and just travel 
And from Portugal, you know, you can get in Spain in one hour. Yeah. Uh, you know, 10, 12 hours, I'd go to Paris. And uh, sometimes the, we would go, let's say, let's go to Holland, the Netherlands. And the first time we got in there and the currency was still all different. It wasn't Euro yet. So every country, um, the borders were pretty much gone, but we still had different currency. Right. And I remember I'd stopped at every border and I would buy a map. There was no smartphones with GPS. So I would buy a map and some of their currency. And I remember getting to the, the Belgium border. And if you know Belgium now, you know what's going to happen. I bought the map. I bought some currency. I started driving in 45 minutes. <laughs> I saw a sign that says, end of Belgium. Yeah. <laughs> I crossed the entire country. And, uh, so, and it's fantastic that you can, uh, the cultures are actually different in the, that 45 minute drive. And even inside, yep. the, inside the same country, let's say in Spain, you can be at a bar and that bar is super classy and everything. And then you're there, you finish your dinner, you can eat until one o'clock in the morning. And then next thing you know, they, at the time they still had ashtrays, you could still smoke inside. And the waiters pull up the shirts and it's a bit shorter and now it's a bar and just, yeah. it's crazy. Fantastic. And yeah, there's, there's, there's all kinds of craziness going on here that's actually part of the culture and I love it. It's just, it's a laissez-faire. It's like let live and let live. You know, it's just, who cares about the, all that? Just relax and have a good time and enjoy each other and enjoy each other's presence. That's, you know, it's not 100% like that, uh, not, mm -hmm. especially not in, in Western Europe. Western Europe's very, you know, on a path to, I don't know what they're, what they're doing now, but Eastern Europe's still pretty much like that. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can actually still smoke in places in Austria, which is really weird. Yeah. You know, go to a restaurant, you're like, there's people smoking in this restaurant. Super strange. Yeah. But, I guess the law uh, is if they have enough exhaustion, like they can pull it out. No, 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 no. I think there's a law on size and the amount of customers or something because, man, you walk in there, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Austria is still very, uh, I don't know, cardinalistic, I guess you could say. I don't know. They're very, yeah, they're very, very clicky and niche, I guess you could say. Yeah. Niche. Yeah. yeah. Very good. So, Stephen, I also heard you be called, besides the hitman, you were called the. Um, the human funnel. And I personally know what funnels are. I, I build my own funnel and my funnels and I'm uh, a funnel hacker, you know, the Russell Brunson following. Yeah. Uh, can you, what is a funnel and why do they call you the human funnel? Well, the funnel is when you put something at the top, it makes its way down to the bottom and comes out sort of purified, I guess you could say. Only that comes out, is supposed to come out, which you can actually uh, benefit from or use or whatever it is, depending on what you have the funnel for. And of course, the sales funnel is uh, where you have a collection, let's say a landing page at the top, or you have an ad that goes to a landing page, that goes to a, a sign-up page, that goes to a questionnaire, that goes to whatever, and it comes out, and at the end, you have a customer. Well, I never thought of it this way, uh, but I have a partner named Jack Schoenberger, and he, uh, him, and, him and I do you know, what, what I do. He does all of the technical stuff and all of the sort of strategy and things. I just stand here and talk, so I get the easy job. And, and we were talking about it, and it said, you know, it's just like a sales funnel. Because I survive, I don't do any ads, I don't do any marketing, I don't do any, I don't pay for anything to do with making money. So I make money and of course I have a platform, so I have my website and things like that and I have a landing page, but I don't market it. It's all word of mouth. So 
I help somebody, they tell someone about me, they Google me, then they go to my, they find my website, then they find my landing page and they sign up and then they send me a mail, I call them, da da da, we, we end up working together. So because of the hit principles that I have, because of the integrity that I have and that, that the integrity and all the relationships that I have is my number one priority, no matter what. If, because I know if I don't have integrity in a relationship with you and we're working together, it's not going to work out. So if I value us and if I value our partnership and, or collaboration or, or customer, you know, a customer and, and service provider regulation, I have to make sure even on your end that the integrity is there. And that's why when you work with me, sometimes we get into discussions where you're like, why are we talking about this right now? And I say, because I have to ensure that the integrity is there and that we can stay integral with each other, that we're honest and we're transparent, not only with, with each other, but with ourselves as to why, what, how, and when. And this leads to the human sales funnels. People are like, you have to talk to Stephen. You have to talk to Stephen. And it's funny because in my mind, it's the simplest thing on the planet. If I have to lie, converse, hide secrets, not disclose information, that's something I have to remember, right? Because yeah. if I talk to the 20 people, I might forget who I said what to. So me, I'm just like 100% open, like completely naked. So I don't have to forget anything. I can be free. I have no expectations. Love and life. And that's where that comes from. That's where the sales funnel, human sales funnel comes from. And it seems to be working. I, yeah, I, I got to say it is. <laughs> you have a huge social media following. You're, uh, was it, you were top two military influencer in the world. Yeah, and yeah well, it's a top, top two military entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, okay. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what the difference is, but yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw that uh, some of my mentors, like Jim Quick, uh, uh, Pat, uh, they actually follow you on on Twitter. So, and you have a, a huge following, and all of that was developed, you know, um, organically through yeah. your just honesty, integrity. Yeah, and it started back when I launched my book in 2003. I think I, I opened, I think I did Twitter in 2004. I don't know, something like way at the beginning. I had no idea what, I still have no idea how to use Twitter. I don't, even know, what, I don't know what it is, what it's good for, but I have, a, I have like 28,000 followers, if that means anything. Um, and uh, like, you know, I just, and, and then we have the tribes, the Facebook groups, we have the Vetpreneur tribe, which is 14,500 right now. It started with 3,000 when I joined it. And now I'm one of the four guys that train everybody in there. And we do, we do, we have a special ops group, it's called, and we train all veterans on their entrepreneurial skills and things like that. And then, of course, I have my coaching club, um, Stephen Coons Immediate Impact Coaching Club. Um, it was in the press today, actually. There was, it was, it was on like 16 or 17 stations picked it up. It was, it was quite pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I just, I have these different groups and I love to give. I love helping. I love seeing and someone sparkle in their eyes going, wow, Stephen, you just like changed my life. And, the thing about it, like I said, it's really simple because I don't have any agenda. I don't have, I, I love making people feel good because let's face it, it makes me feel fantastic too. Yeah. Uh, so one more thing or a couple more things, but uh, is there any book that has changed the way you think, the way you act? What is the most special one to you? I wouldn't say recently, um, but there's a few books, and, and I always keep them here because I have them for um, reference. Um, and one of them is, of course, The Richest Man in Babylon by George Klassen. I don't know if you've ever read that. I did not. Read? You have. This is an amazing book about wealth, The Seven Principles of Wealth. It's amazing, right? And it's just one of those books that was written, not even was written like a million years ago. And then, of course, everyone knows this one, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. Yeah, I finished it last I week. Just, 
as you see, I have all the bookmarks in there because I have certain things in there. I have my super quotes book when I be when I be motivated by Marcus Aurelius Meditations. That's what, one of those books that I like to read, or actually quotes that I like to read to keep me motivated and see things happening. And one spiritual book that I read a long time ago is called The Hathor Material by Tom Kenyon. And the Hathor Material is about um, this uh, Tom Kenyon, who's a I think he's a neurologist or something, who sort of had um, conversations with. I don't know, some kind of beings or something. And he talks about the, the, you know, how the body works with energy and how you have the energy war down the middle and how the spiral effect goes around your body and you have like a vacuum and how that works for you if you know how to train it. Sort of a little bit like chi and zen and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I got into that too. So they're, they're the books that actually not only changed my life, but I use as almost like a reference uh, at least once a week, two, two times a week. I, I've read Richest Man Babylon, I don't even know how many times. I just keep reading it. It's a great book because it's a story about a merchant in Babylon. Yeah. So it's 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 like history at the same time. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I guess same as uh, Think and Grow Rich because that's a book from 1937. That's also like a lot of history and the story because I always always had the book on my to read list, but until I think it was two weeks ago, I hadn't read it uh, because I thought it was something completely different than it actually was and. Yep. When it started, and I understood what it was going to be about, I kind of regretted not reading it longer. Nah, don't, don't you know? There's no need to regret. Everything happens for a reason. We know that, right? I mean, yeah. this, you wouldn't be where you are. You wouldn't have been. You wouldn't have read it if you, you know, if you weren't supposed to read it. So, no big deal. And I learned since then that there is one that Napoleon Hill released prior to this one, and apparently Henry Ford asked them to remove it and not sell it anymore because the secret was too obvious. And um, I found that. You did. 16 Secrets to Success. So I found actually an audio version of it. Somebody, somebody read, read it. And so it's not an official audio, but I found it on YouTube. Send it. And uh, I will. Okay. I, I, have, I haven't heard it because it's actually – each chapter is an hour and something, so it's wow. Yeah, it's sixteen chapters, and that's the apparently should be the official one. So I Good. can't wait. I know he got sued or something. He had to make it go away. Yeah, had to close it. Had, had to not sell it. Had to rewrite it or something. Yeah, I remember reading that. Yeah, true. Yeah. So pretty wow. Yes, yeah. great, great books and and life changing. So one more thing, Stephen. Yeah. For the people listening listening to us today. If there's one thing that you want them to, to know, one thing that you think that can actually help them, what would that be? Hit. I, I, I hate to keep saying it. Yeah. There's nothing on this planet as a human being that you can do that will clear everything up with one swoop. You follow the hit principles. If you go to my website, stephen-kuhn.com, that's a Stephen with a V, and then dash K-U-H-N.com, you'll see right under my big picture of my big head, Underneath, you'll see uh, sign up for the HIT series. And it's HIT videos. It's five videos, one introduction and five videos. It shows you exactly what it means to live by HIT. And it's free. There's no strings attached. And what that will help you do is live a freer life. And it sounds hokey and cheesy and whatever. But I'm a, I'm a, I'm a logic, solid kind of guy. Ex-military. I'm six foot four, 280. I'm not, you know, I don't wear gowns or jewels or that kind of stuff and, and go, you know, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm a feet on the ground, you know, rooted kind of guy, you know, okay, I do medicinal plants as well. So I'll, I would go to Peru going next month as well. And I do ayahuasca in San Pedro, um, to help me facilitate my growth. 
right? My, my spiritual growth. So that's there. But hit, hit is the basis for a genuine life without expectation and relationships that will last a lifetime that will enrich your life and your business and make you money like nothing else. And the best thing about it is it costs nothing. Yeah. So well, you, you just mentioned going to Peru for uh, some spiritual healing and stuff like that. There, there's some waterfalls in Peru that apparently are like sacred and people flock to them. And uh, is that where you're going or do you ever been to that? I haven't been to the waterfalls, no, but I've been to Machu Picchu, of course, um, and I go to Cusco. And at the top of the mountain of Cusco, I have friends who have been, who've been there for 25 years. They're from South Africa, the Myberg family. They're an amazing family. They've been living there, working with medicinal plants for that long. Now, when they moved there and they built a house at the top of the mountain, it was just the top of a mountain. Now that top of the mountain is actually, they found, archaeologists found, the Temple of the Moon by the Incas. And their house is surrounded by this temple and the ruins, and they still have their house. So when you go there and do the ceremonies, you are dead center of the Inca heart, of the ruins of the Inca heart, the kings. And the, it was actually Inca means king. So there was only seven Incas, if you want to know the truth. And the tribe is called something else. I always forget what the tribe was called, but everyone says Inca. And um, the so you're there doing this um, rituals, uh, depending on ayahuasca or San Pedro. Ayahuasca is at night. And that's sort of the spiritual feminine, uh, um, you know, energy. Then you have during the day, you have the San Pedro and that's masculine energy. And those two together give you the yin and yang like nothing else. I tell you, it's amazing. Yeah, that, That's so fantastic that the house part, uh, are they allowed to keep it? Or is the government trying to do something about it or? No, it's not. We, uh, have you been to Peru? No, I've never. Well, it's still very, it's still very, you know, downtrodden and sort of poor so okay. there's not there's not much organization in that in that part i think you know they're probably happy to have the property taxes or something <laughs> you know for the property tax income so no they've they actually there's there's three houses beside them now so it looks, it looks like that's the end of the road for the cusco for the city but it's the beginning of the wilderness it's absolutely stunning it's absolutely stunning you're there at the end of the city in front of this as far as you can see wilderness amazing when you're there, do you, do you ever experience one of those feelings that you cannot explain? Something yeah. that you just feel? Yes. 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 All the time when you're there. I mean, I, I, there's a there's a ritual we do. We do a, a Pachamama ritual, which is um, Mother Earth ritual. Um, and then you go after the ritual, you're giving back to Mother Earth. You go to the Pachamama or the Mother Earth birth canal, and it's two cliffs that you walk between, and they get tighter at the end. And at the very end, you have to climb out, and it is a mother to get out of there i mean it's really a lot of work to get out of there so it's like being born again through mother earth that's why they call it the birth canal and what you do when you're walking down this birth canal is you give thanks to your mother to mother earth to all mothers and i'm like okay this is cool whatever you know walking down there and i climbed out of this thing and i got to the top and i popped out <laughs> you know of the birth canal and I, st I stood there for a second and i took a breath and i lost it i completely started just whining and crying and I felt so thankful and it was just incredible. And, and yeah, it's one of those moments where you're like, I have no idea where it came from, but I have this un, undying love for my mother like never before since then. So it, it, it woke a part of me up that probably I was denying. And you said that that's very hard to get out of that birth canal. So, you know, you're 6'4 you're and you're built like a brick house. 
can the normal the normal non fit person try to have give that birth or escape? Yes, yes. Everyone made it out. Everyone made it out. You can't help them, of course. You know, yeah, you, they got to do it. It takes sometimes. It takes a long time. One one guy took like twenty minutes to get through, and it's li- li- literally maybe ten feet high. That's it. So it's not even that big. It's just that it's so leaning towards you and there's only one little gap where you put your foot and you have to grab and, and it's really tough i i literally just like whoosh you know just forced my way up there yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was amazing all right Stephen, we're coming on time and i want to be respectful of your time i really appreciate you coming this was this was like a fantastic interview and i was so excited to have you uh my, you know. my absolute pleasure you're a fantastic host man i really appreciate it perfect we're well, well We'll keep in touch. We'll keep chatting. And uh, that's it for today for the Fail Fast podcast. Thanks, everybody, for watching. And this is Stephen Kuhn. Uh, One more question before we go. Yeah. We get to memorize three of your names, Stephen Eugene Kuhn. Right. I've seen that several people, you know, several people in the world that we do know three of their names, right? Daniel... Orion Daniel Moran, Stephen Eugene Kuhn, uh, <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis, Olivia Newton John. Yeah, yes, yeah. there's not many. So, is that something that you did on purpose, or is that accidental? Um, no, it's uh, it, it was always Stephen E. Kuhn, um, and I'm for me history um, legacy. It means everything to me, and my grandfather and my father. You know, Eugene. Uh, my son's name is Eugene. Middle name is Eugene. I, and I, I'm, I'm proud of my names. And they're given to me for a reason. Yeah. And so I, I want to honor that. I want to honor those names. And so I use my full name. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Stephen, thanks for coming. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome podcast. Thank you very much.